Everyone, welcome to City Light. It is so good to have you with us today, even though it's not how we would hope to be meeting, and we're back on Zoom again. Our hope is that pretty soon we'll be all back in person. Um, and so I hope you've had a good start to the year. I know some of you have obviously been isolating or you've actually got COVID, and so that's probably not how you want to be starting the year. But um, my hope is that as we even gather today, there's still really an opportunity to hear from God, to be realigned by Him, and to encourage one another. So thanks for, for jumping on, and hopefully next week, uh, most of us might be able to meet in person, but stay tuned for that as well. And hopefully at the beginning of the year has been good. I don't know if you're a New Year's resolution type person. I'm not especially. Um, I Last year, my resolution was to go for an overnight hike, and I realized I didn't even do that, so Hopefully um, this year it'll be uh, a bit easier. I've rolled it over so I didn't have to think of anything too creative for this year. But if you are a little bit cynical about New Year's, I kind of understand that. Um, it's, you know, in one sense pretty arbitrary to cel- celebrating one lap around the sun. But if you think about it every day of the year, you're finishing a lap around the sun just from a different starting point because that's how circles work. So if you're cynical, I get it. But on another level, there is something about the start of the year that's worth marking because we've got a finite number of years in this earth, really 90 or 100 laps around the sun on the upper end of the spectrum or unless Jesus returns. So actually having a time of year to pause, take stock is not a bad thing. To be able to reflect on the year past and to think on the year ahead and to take a bit of a, a reading about how things are going, how we're traveling, are we on the right track? And so at City Life, what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is looking at a part of the Bible, Proverbs, which has some extended reflections on life, wisdom, and what does it mean to live rightly? And in particular, we're going to think on what does it mean to be people of character? That is, people of virtue, of internal coherence, people with attributes that aren't especially in vogue, but the Bible puts value on, such as wisdom and humility, self-control and diligence. And today I just want to introduce that idea, and to really one idea that I think runs through the book of Proverbs and undergirds this series. And it's an idea that I need reminding of, really on a daily basis, because I forget it so often. It's an idea that my favorite one of my favorite Christian authors, Pete Scazzaro, says regularly, which is, who you are is more important than what you do. Who you are is more important than what you do. And this is the case um, that the writer, the writer of Proverbs really wants to kind of instill into his readers, because it's not the default way our culture thinks. David Brooks, the New York Times columnist, in his fantastic book, The Road to Character, makes the distinction between the resume virtues and the eulogy virtues. The resume virtues being the things that you can put in your resume, like external success and achievements and skills. Eulogy virtues, on the other hand, are the things that people say about you at your funeral, the things that are at the core of your being, whether you are kind, brave, honest, faithful, and what kind of relationships you form. And that in our culture, really, it's the resume virtues that are loud and celebrated and powerful. Things like being educated or attractive or wealthy or successful um, are things that can really look good on a LinkedIn profile or an Instagram account. But comparatively, there is little reward for the cultivation of an inner life, the confronting of our own weaknesses and the development of character. It's very hard to Instagram your integrity. So we all have got a part of us that wants to look to be good, but we tend to prioritize and you know, this other part of us that wants to look good. So we often lean on easy kind of goals or aspirations, things that are doable, like hitting the gym, buying the next product, advancing our reputation, getting a promotion, all the while neglecting our inner life. In short, we prioritize not who we are, but what we do. And 
the risk that comes with having a life that is focused on the external and the shallow at the expense of the deep is this. And that's helpfully summed up by David Brooks, who says, in speaking about having just an external life, if that's all you have, you spend a lot of time cultivating professional skills, but you don't have a clear idea of the sources of meaning in life. So you don't know where you should devote your skills, which career path would be highest and best. Years pass and the deepest parts of yourself go unexplored and unstructured. You are busy, but you have a vague anxiety that your life has not achieved its ultimate meaning and significance. You live with an unconscious boredom, not really loving, not really attached to the moral purposes that give life its worth. You lack the internal criteria to make unshakable commitments. You never develop inner constancy, the integrity that can withstand popular disapproval or a serious blow. You find yourself doing things that other people approve of, whether these things are right for you or not. You foolishly judge other people by their abilities, not by their worth. You do not have a strategy to build character, and without that, not only your inner life, but your external life will eventually fall to pieces. Now, the book of Proverbs is a subversive piece of literature in the sense that it cuts against the grain of the things that we prioritize most. It's really set up as a safeguard against being the kind of person that goes through an entire life only worried about the outside things without giving any thought to the internal world. It, it puts forward a different set of values to that which we find ourselves valuing. So the book of Proverbs isn't a series of hacks to be rich. It's not a simple guide to be happy. It's not a health manual, but it's a, a set of wisdom to be a person who is living rightly uh, along with the grain of reality. And it uses lots of language that we rarely use in thinking about what we aspire to most. So we're going to just read through a section of this now and reflect on just some of the, I guess, the countercultural ideas that are, that, are, that are in this text. So if you've got a Bible, um, grab it. If you've, you know, if you've got one in another room, go and get it. Um, if you don't have a Bible in your house, maybe don't leave your house to, to find one. But if you've got one there, I'd really love you to have it open in front of you. Um, or you can maybe open up the text on a, on a browser or your phone. But, you know, if you've got a Bible, that's the, the best way to do it. And I'm just going to pray now before we start reading through some of these verses. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just want to ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your words to us today. Um, be speaking to us be uh, informing us, be giving us wisdom, be giving us character, um, and be showing us grace by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you do have a Bible, open up to Proverbs chapter 4, and we're just going to be reading a little chunk from verse 18 through to the end of the chapter, and just making some notes along the way. Proverbs 4.18, I've got an NIV version, um, if yours is a little bit different. It says, The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter to the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. So what you see as we start this section is this sage, this wise person writing, is speaking of a moral dimension to life. That there is a, a path that is forked, there are two ways, and there are two roads that one might live their life, and that is the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And that, that is fundamentally the most important divide that we need to navigate in our lives. It's not the divide between being successful or unsuccessful. It's not the divide between being rich or poor. It's not the divide between being attractive or ugly. 
He's saying that this important divide that we need to be aware of is the quality of a person. Are you grouped in the righteous, those living rightly, or, or the wicked, those who are not? It's just raising this, this, this basic idea that what matters most isn't just what you do, but it's who you are. What type of person are you? Are you a righteous person or are you a wicked person? And you need to pay attention to this. He then follows uh, from verse 20 by saying, My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. So the writer is obviously writing to his son, but this is timeless wisdom that applies to those of us who are not his particular son, where he's encouraging him and encouraging us to listen. That there is some wisdom to be put forward, some idea that unless we actually you know, switch our brains on for a moment and, and open our ears and pay attention that we might miss. We might actually lose this important bit of information, this important bit of wisdom by not listening. So he's just laying it up. He's saying it's important. Pay attention. These words matter. If they get into you, if these words inform your life, they are going to be life-giving words. There is something important in this wisdom. And then he says this line, which I think sums up what he's trying to say here in verse 23. He says, Above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. Another version I read this week says, above all else, guard your heart, um, for everything you do flows from it. Um, and so I think what is saying here in this, in this centerpiece verse is that there is something that you need to keep watch of, care for, and be aware of more than anything else, and that is your heart. Just like your physical heart is the center of your circulatory system, that without that, obviously, um, the blood stops pumping, everything else fails. For ancient Near Eastern people, the heart is synonymous with the soul or the self, the center of your inner being. It's the center of personhood. It's the part of you that you can't touch or hold or see. It's the part of you that drives every action, whether conscious or unconscious. Uh, we've got this distinction in our kind of culture where it's like you think of the heart, that's where the emotions are, that's kind of where you feel stuff, um, and your head's where you think rationally about things. They didn't have this distinction. It was all tied into one. Your heart is your inner being. It's, it's your inner person. And he's saying more than anything else, you need to guard this. You need to guard your deep down inner self because everything else in your life flows from it. Like a wellspring or a well or a water source or a reservoir, if it is tainted or poisoned or infected, that is going to pass on to everything. If there is something wrong with the water source that, that supplies a, a town or a village and it gets tainted, there's no point going around to all the pipes and the, and the streams that flow from it trying to fix them if the, if the centerpiece is wrong. And so the sage here has observed that if your inner being is off or crooked or... Um, or, or sick, then everything downstream of that, every action you take, every part of your life will be off because of it. And I think we kind of know this because you, you, know, you meet people throughout your life when you're lucky who are just internally at peace, who are just, you can just tell that they are right deep down. And so when something goes wrong, they don't respond with bitterness or fury or frustration, but it, they just kind of respond positively and patiently and with grace. When they're spoken ill of, you might tell those people that they don't just kind of respond in turn and, and speak bad of the person who spoke bad of them, but they, they just are gracious about it and can take it. People who, when there's opportunities to be generous, just without a second thought, it just overflows out of them, just what's already inside, they give freely and naturally. 
And when you meet these people, you're lucky and you just want to spend time around them. But on the flip side, and maybe you see it in yourself, I know for me, I see this in myself, is that there are just times when what comes out is just the overflow of something not being right inside. When you're just quick to be bitter, quick to be frustrated, quick to be um, judgmental. And this is possible to, to have kind of anywhere, even in, in church. It's possible to look good. It's possible to kind of do the right things, to go to church, serve, all that kind of thing, but have something wrong inside. And every single year, one of the hard things to, to wrestle with is just the year-on-year -year stories of public influential Christians being exposed to be looking good, but having something wrong inside. And so the instruction that this sage gives us is, isn't above all else, keep up appearances. Above all else, serve in 2022. Above all else, keep going along to church in 2022. It's not above all else, pray loudly and visibly. It's above all else, guard your heart. Because who you are is more important than what you do. Now, before we keep reading through this section into the next few lines about what it might look like for us to be thinking about how to guard our heart, it is the new year. And so right now, as maybe you've already reflected or you've thought about the year past, you might be feeling something like, well, my heart hasn't been guarded. There's actually something off that I'm aware of that I, you know, actually I'm feeling like there's something wrong within me and, it's, and, I, and I hate it and I don't like that reality. And I know that some of you might be feeling that because the reality is none of us have perfect hearts. Our inner world, if we're honest, is often chaotic and a sinful, broken mess. And it's the one thing we can't just clean up through effort. You can't solve this with a New Year's resolution. You can resolve to go to the gym you know, four times a week and in a year you will have a better body because of it. But you can't just resolve, I'm going to have a clean heart this year. It's actually not that easy. So I just want to remind you that the book of Proverbs is written within the wider story of the Bible, where, which is really a story of what is the solution to the problem of the heart. Um, this is what the whole Bible is apart, that we've, that we've, through sin, we've got broken and corrupted hearts, but that God has chosen to intervene in our world to give us new hearts, that the reason that Jesus came into this world, the only sinless person to have ever walked the earth, was to be crucified on a cross. And in that moment, to have our old selves, our, our sinful selves, in a sense, crucified with him, that we are, in a sense, put to death with him. And as he rises from the dead, we are given new life. We are given new selves and new hearts. And that what's happened if we, if we have believed and received this just good news of the gospel is that we've been taken off a path of death and put on a road that leads us over the course of our life to gradually, slowly but surely be made more like Jesus. And one day, and we're not there yet, but one day just to be sure that we will be made perfect in him. I just want to remind you of that because there is hope and there is grace and there is forgiveness if you are aware of a fault in your heart. And that's, that is 100% true. That is, the, that is the good news of Christianity. That is the good news that Jesus gives us. But in this particular proverb, um, that's just not where the emphasis lies. The emphasis here, as is in many parts of Proverbs, is emphasizing the personal responsibility that we've been given to make wise choices and live in such a way that leads to flourishing. So look at some of the practical things that we are then told to do in light of this instruction to above all else guard your heart. In verse 24, he says, put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Now, that might seem like a, 
interesting kind of initial instruction to follow on from guarding your heart, just focusing on your words. But what the sage, I think, knows is that our heart and our words are linked. It's the kind of shortest pathway, right, between what we're thinking and feeling and what tends to come out of our mouth. This was my curse at high school. I had no filter. If I thought something or felt something, it would come out my mouth, whether I was in a classroom, whether I was whatever, and it would get me into trouble. I couldn't just turn it off. What came out of my mouth was what was really inside me. And I would envy the kids that could think something and not say it out loud. Um, I've kind of learned how to do that a little bit better now. But it is the case that our hearts tend to shape our words, but also our words tend to shape our hearts. So guarding our hearts means paying attention to even the small little habits of our life, such as what we speak. Have you noticed about how your words can affect you? How if you make it a habit of complaining, you will over time feel less and less grateful. If you make it a habit to slander and speak bad of others, you will find yourself becoming more of a bitter person. Approaching life with a constant sarcasm and just like not taking it seriously will make you just a cynical person at heart. Putting others down on a daily basis will transform you into a person who is proud. Our words are often the first indicator of something not being right. And Jesus was onto this. He said that anyone who insults their brother has revealed the same heart problem that at its worst and at its least constrained would ultimately lead to murder. He's saying the same heart problem is behind speaking bad of someone and killing them. So the fight to guard the heart is made up of, of guarding the smaller habits and actions, even our speech. And this brings to, to mind for me these lines from the author C.S. Lewis, who highlights, I think, so, so helpfully that what makes up our life is a series of smaller, smaller choices, smaller actions, smaller words that form us into one kind of being or another. He says this, I think it's so powerful. Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your lifelong, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be one kind of creature is heaven, that is, it is joy, peace, knowledge, and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. How important is it to pay attention to our words and our actions and our deeds and our habits because they affect our heart. So given this importance, the, the writer finishes by saying this in this chapter. In verse 25, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only the ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. There's this instruction or, or warning or encouragement or, or however you want to put it to be aware of the path that you are on. What is the trajectory in which you are heading? How are you going in this sphere of morality, of spirituality? Are you on a path that leads to righteousness or are you on a path that leads to wickedness? And given what we've heard about our, our inner life being central to that question, 
and the need to be aware of where we're heading, um, we need to think about what we're doing to make sure we are on the right path. One of the things I've kind of gotten into towards the end of 2021 is swimming laps. I've never done that really before other than the swimming carnival in primary school. Because I always thought that, you know, going to a pool and swimming laps is a really boring way to exercise. But now that I've done it, um, I know for sure that it's a really boring way to exercise. But I'm trying to practice it because I always need podcasts and things. So swimming, you can't have that. You've just got to be kind of alone with yourself in the water. But because I do get bored very easily, when there's no one else in the same lane as me, the way I try to spice it up is by closing my eyes and trying to see if I can swim a lap of the pool without crashing into the guide ropes on the side. And what I've worked out is it's actually pretty much impossible to do. I've yet to do it, either because I get scared and open my eyes, but normally, if I think I'm going straight, I end up crashing left or right. And if I try to counterbalance that, I end up going the other way. It's very, very hard to swim in a straight line if you're not paying attention to it. And I think the same with life. It is very, very hard just to kind of go through life hoping for the best without paying attention and, and find yourself on a path of growth, of, of coming closer to God, being made more like him and having a heart that is actually growing in life and connection with God. So it's worth pausing at the start of the year and asking, have, what, what is the track that you're on? The Puritan writer John Flavel has written an entire book on this one kind of verse about guarding your heart. Uh, and this is, a, this is um, a, a, a section of the book I come back to regularly where he says, For though grace has in great measure rectified the soul, yet sin often actually decomposes it again, so that even a gracious heart is like a musical instrument, which though it be exactly tuned, a small matter brings it out of tune again. Hang it aside but a little and it will need setting again before another lesson can be played on it. He's saying that like an instrument, our hearts go out of tune. That's just life, even, even, even um, sanctified and, and changed hearts. We can go off track. And the good news is that God is gracious, he is loving, he is forgiving, and he is the God of second chances. But I think it would be wise to begin the year by heeding the encouragement of this sage in Proverbs and paying attention to our, to our path and to our feet and to where we're heading. And so maybe over this long weekend, while we've got that little bit more time on our hands, it would be worth setting aside some time to pause and reflect. You've saved some time this morning. You didn't have to drive to Balmain. It's a shorter service. There's some, there's some free time in the bank there. To actually sit down, to spend some time with God and just to reflect and to bring your heart before him. I'm going to put this in a moment into the chat on a, on a PDF that you'll be able to get to it. But I've just wrote down some questions um, that I think would be helpful to think on to begin this year. And the encouragement I put in there initially is to spend some time just praying, to ask God that he would be um, speaking to you, revealing parts of you that you may have missed even over the last year. Then I'd encourage you to read the first four chapters of Proverbs. Um, this first section of Proverbs is amazing. I read it at the beginning of every year. I actually read you know, chapters 1 to 9 if you want to go a bit further because that whole section is just absolutely incredible. But, you know, 1 to 4 is two pages of the Bible pretty much, so not, not too hard. But to read it slowly, to allow it to wash over you, to ground yourself in God's word and his perspective, and then to ask yourself some of these questions. To ask yourself, are there any habits that I am allowing that are doing damage to my soul? Number two, to ask, is there anything I need to confess, repent of, and receive forgiveness for? Number three, what trajectory am I on spiritually? Am I growing closer to God or getting further away? Number four, am I being loving in the key relationships in my life? Number five, am I focusing more on what I can do and achieve this year 
or who I am as a person? Six, what habits could I strengthen that would grow me as a person? Seven, what is one aspect of my character that I would wish to grow in this year? And eight, what would it look like on any given week to be growing in this area? And that might take some time. You might be able to do that in 20 minutes. It might take you an hour. Um, It's a beautiful day to be sitting outside if you've got the chance and actually reflecting on some of these things. But to go through that and just bring it towards God, to invite him in, to be inviting to be working in you this year, that you might not just kind of go blindly with your eyes closed into the year, not knowing which way you're heading and missing something important, but to be aware, to be focused and to be above all else, guarding your heart. That's my prayer for us as a church this year. Um, and over the next few weeks, we're going to be getting into, next week we're going to be speaking about wisdom. Next week after that, we're going to be talking about um, humility. After that, self-control. After that, diligence. And, and be thinking about how we're going to be transforming and growing as a church this year. So I'm just going to pray now as we, um, as we finish this time in God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your word in Proverbs. Uh, this perspective shift that we just don't often get, we certainly don't get it when we log into Instagram or when we turn on the news, um, to, to be aware of what's going on in our hearts, to know that you see and value who we are as a people. You value who we are as, as people, whether or not we're living righteously and right and in line with you, far more than you value our physical appearance or our bank balance or our job title. And so we just ask that you would be growing us transforming us as individuals and as a church this year that we might not miss the opportunity we have now even if our plans are maybe in disarray even if the year looks uncertain that one thing that is certain is that you're giving us an opportunity to know you more so we just ask that you'd be with us working through us this year jesus amen